Hi, welcome back to episode number three, Extraordinary Jews, the untold story of the from neurodiverse population. This is Debbie Ginsberg of Organize You for Life. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you will understand that I feel this is a tremendous need for us to be able to address the uh, neurodiverse population and in our From Shomer Shabbos crowd. And what I have discussed with one of my sons, and I have always found so fascinating, that psychologists today have come up with so many um, explanations, and we're discovering ways of being able to help people who are neurodiverse. And yet, really, truly, we know now that it's really all the sources have come from the Torah and the sages. And in this book, when I'm looking at Handbook of Torah and Mental Health, David H. Rosmarin, Dr. David H. Rosmarin, and Rabbi Saul Heimoff, I hope I'm saying that right, also a doctor, I'm going to quote what they said. However, is the frequency and intensity of modern psychopathology source, so has the West's humble and broad-minded interest in foreign solutions. Today, tenured professors unabashedly borrow empirically verifiable insights and practices from other cultures, and most psychology graduate students get at least some exposure to these imports. But researchers remain frustrated at their inability to independently crack the code of the Jewish oral tradition. The Torah's formula for creating and maintaining psychological health remains about as much of a mystery to outsiders as it hit, as it has since the Jews first departed Mount Sinai. In this way, the present contribution is a watershed moment for modern psychology. Dr. Rosemarin is as fluent in the worlds of ancient Israel and Babylonia as he is with the halls of Harvard psychiatry. He is the perfect emissary and translator, having spent decades in dialogue with carriers of the Jewish oral tradition, and mine them for theoretical and practical insights they received from the previous generation scholars. So in his research, he has not only codified these discoveries, but uniquely he has tested them, applying Torah psychology in private practice and laboratory studies. His astounding results testify as much to the system's value as they do to his grasp of it. And we know that today they speak so much about spirituality as being part of the wellness program. And I do teach that when I deal with people's emotional regulation. I want to thank the many people who responded to my first two podcasts. It has been quite uh, <laughs> a thrill that people listened. And as always, I believe all of us are on a learning curve. And so therefore, I want to bring to everyone's attention things that um, I keep learning. Um, I am in training right now for what's called virtual reality immersive. Many of you have heard of these VR headsets where you can put yourself into a game. But now what's happening is, is they have discovered ways of creating scenes. It's been going on for a little bit, but they've been testing it for people who are uh, neurodiverse and others. And they have discovered that because of what we've discussed, the neuroplasticity, the ability for the brain to re be rewired and in English, in simpler English terms, to be uh, reconditioned. So I'm starting to use this with clients and 
what's happening is, is that uh, clients may not recognize or be able to verbalize the situations that cause them to feel anxiety. So we put them in scenes such as a crowded elevator or a plane or height, you know, put them something with heights. And when they start to feel some anxiety, what we then do is we play meditative, you know, type of breathing. Uh, We help through talking to talk them down. What this does is it helps to it helps the brain to recognize the, the calm feeling that one should be able to get into when faced in a situation that provokes anxiety. So it has, it's something that I'm still in the middle of studying. However, we have already implemented it with some clients and, um, my client is telling me that he's, you know, quite amazed because he himself didn't realize uh, that he had some sensitivities to certain uh, situations. And in his particular case, we were finding out that he was sabotaging every time he had a job. He wouldn't be able to last very long. And it was misunderstood. The family and his support team thought that he was lazy. They called him lazy in a meeting. They said that he did it on purpose. And I never believed that. So through this VR immersive, we were able to determine it has nothing to do with laziness. It has to do with the fact that he's sensitive. And so therefore he wants to, basically it's the fight or flight syndrome. He wants out and he creates a situation where he's fired. As we progress with these lessons, uh, he will eventually be able to be in a situation for a longer period of time. And hopefully when he feels anxiety, his body will be able to react and put him in a state of, you know, breathing, calm down, and that would hopefully be able to help him. And this leads us to something that a parent and I were talking about yesterday, which is called masking. And um, Dr. Hannah Belcher wrote an article about this, and she said, to mask or to camouflage means to hide or disguise parts of oneself in order to better fit in with those around you. It is an unconscious strategy all humans develop while growing up in order to connect with those around us. However, for someone who's autistic, the strategy is often much more ingrained and harmful to their well-being and health. Because social norms are different to those who are autistic, they often experience greater pressure to hide their true selves to fit into that non-autistic culture. So more often than not, they have to spend their entire lives hiding their traits, trying to fit in, even though the odds of appearing non-autistic are against them. Masking may involve suppressing certain behaviors that they find like are soothing, but that others think are weird, such as stimming or intense interests. It can also mimic the behavior of people around them, such as copying nonverbal behaviors and developing complex social scripts to get in social situations. So with this comes a great need to be like other people and to avoid the prejudice and judgment that comes with being different, which is very much what we're discussing here in this podcast, the trying to understand that we have to embrace. And in a world where we embrace diversity, we should be able to embrace our own people who might appear different. And over time, as they become more aware of their own masking, 
it often begins as an unconscious response to social trauma before they grasp their differences. The problem with masking is that you can't continue to do it. Um, it, it what happens is, is that you start to feel a lot of pressure because you can't, how much can you keep that up? So studies are being done to try to understand uh, all about this masking and they've been on a journey now and, and trying to help people to take off the mask. And with this gentleman that I was referring to, my client, in a sense, what his mom and I kept noticing was he kept seeming so normal, and yet he had been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, but there was no discernible symptom that we could pick up on, but yet he wasn't functioning as properly as he could. And even when we were treating him and trying to help him through emotional regulation, he was in tremendous denial of having any issues. And there were some very severe situations that he had been in that would border on the line of trauma um, with one of his parents. And yet he would just go into denial and say, nah, it doesn't bother me. So until we used the virtual reality, did we discover that uh, it, he really is bothered and it is so deep in his subconscious that he wasn't even aware of it. So now we'll be able to deal with it. So masking, which is uh, also called the compensating, is basically a social survival strategy. And it can look different from person to person, as does every single person who's neurodivergent. There, is, there are no two people who are alike. And we'll talk about what that means when it comes to shaduchim, okay? Because that, that causes a very interesting scenario. So someone who's masking could force or fake eye contact during conversations. They could imitate smiles and other facial expressions. They can mimic gestures. They could hide or minimize personal interests, develop a repertoire of rehearsed responses to questions. They could have scripted conversations. They might push themselves through intense sensory discomfort, including things such as loud noises. They might disguise their stimming behaviors by hiding a jiggling foot or trading a preferred movement for one that's less obvious. So they could be masking for a variety of reasons, such as feeling safe, avoiding the stigma. They want to avoid the mistreatment or what many, many of my clients have told me they were bullied. They want to be considered successful at work. They want to be able to attract a romantic partner, make friends and have other social connections, feel like they fit in, feeling a sense of belonging. And bringing this back to dating, which is a very important stage for our population, and we very much want them to find their proper companions, what I teach my clients when they before they go on a date is to recognize that they may know their symptoms, especially if they've worked with me or coach, and so they're more aware of their own skill sets or their own, I mean, their own symptoms through the skill sets that they've learned. But the person that they are now going to embark on a date with may have a whole different host of symptoms that they don't recognize. And even they will look at the other person and say, well, wow, that's weird. And yet they're considered by the neurotypical as all being in the same class. And yet they are not. 
They're everyone's different. So let's go back a step. A person gets a diagnosis, ADHD, autism spectrum disorder, anxiety, depression, many other things. But there's something called comorbidity. And comorbidity is like other types of issues that a person may have. So these comorbidities could compound the symptomology that the person deals with and the way they display themselves. But again, to encourage everyone and to bring light to this very dark subject, because it has become one when we stigmatize and when we bully, that through our, through teaching, through creating catalysts of the brain, being able to fire off those neurochemical transmitters, we are able to get people to manage their symptoms better so they can live that wonderful life. And it's very, very important that as a parent, if you notice this in your child, and I'm going to say this probably in every podcast, and we'll be having our guests soon, and they'll be talking about things from different uh, viewpoints, please do not hide it because it's a disservice. The, your child needs to be diagnosed. They need the help because they will live much, much better lives. And having a sense of self-confidence is huge and will make them feel so much better about themselves. So give them that gift, invest in them. And for Shaduchim purposes, I really ask parents to be authentic and be honest about the situation to be able to help your children meet the right person that fits them well. Because ultimately, what we're seeing is that when we try to put someone, two people together, and they have all these, one person has symptoms and another person doesn't, and they don't understand each other, there can be issues. So we really don't say that you have to marry someone who's neurodiverse to someone to neurodiverse, not at all. But when I speak to many people who are, they say they prefer to be with someone who can understand where they're coming from. And so therefore we encourage families to, um, to recognize what's going on in their children and to help them the best they can. So this is Debbie Ginsburg coming to you from, uh, the Extraordinary Jews, the untold story of the Frum neurodiverse population. You can always reach me at organizeyou, the letter U, the number four, life.com. I very much encourage people to come onto my show to give me feedback because I learned from all of you. I wish to share. Very excited. There's been such a tremendous positive response to these episodes. So thank you very much.